0: Better way to do this Let me show you a better way you don't have to be face in crowd. And we are live. Welcome folks to episode 3453 of the Survival podcast. And uh, you might think that today's episode is a bit of clickbait. It's not. I do hope it will bring more people to the fold to listen today. Um, But I'm going to give you exactly what it promises. A new theory that's actually an old theory on who actually killed JFK today. And I'm not a big conspiracy theory type person. Usually a lot of people, when they find the survival podcast, they figure he's a survival guy. He must be in all the conspiracy theories. You know, the reality is most of the conspiracy theories out there really You know, they either are nut job stuff or they're pretty obvious that they're factual and you either accept them or you don't. And then you either apply what you know because of them to your life or you go along and just believe everything that you're told. So you either can split them into like this is pretty obvious and there's something to it and you either care or you don't or this is nut jobbery like the earth is flat or some shit and they're not worth talking about and they're not worth arguing with people about. The thing about the Kennedy one is that it is unique to me in the world of conspiracy theories and that there is probably not a conspiracy theory that a greater number of the population believe has some merit than JFK. And no one really knows. For all the talk, it's this. It was him. It was so-and-so. It was the CIA. It was the FBI. J. Edgar Hoover did it. You know, Johnson was behind it. It was the mob. Like, no one really knows. And anybody that pretends they know, I don't take seriously. Because if you pretend you know, you move from the world of stating a theory to stating a fact that you have no evidence to back up. The theory I'm going to give you today has more evidence than any I've ever seen. It's not new. It was originally released in the 1970s by an investigator who's a ballistics expert. And then there was a book published on it that we'll talk about today that was released in 2013. And every bit of this has flopped. And it's why I almost didn't talk about it today. People don't want a plausible explanation. They want a grand conspiracy. Well, there is a grand conspiracy here, but it all begins seconds after the third shot, not before or during the shots. And this is really, really, really interesting to me. And what I'll say is, after you examine it, before you dismiss it it out of hand, I'm going to show you the Sapruder film today. And I must have watched that a thousand times or more in my life, at least. I probably watched it a hundred times in history class in 11th grade when Mr. Larson was deeply into this and and kept talking to us about it a long term. In fact, he was actually he had done his master's thesis on the Kennedy assassination and gone as far as he actually bought an Italian Carano rifle to see if the shot could have been made, and his contention was the shots could have been made. But I'm going to tell you today, when we cover this, it will involve a second shooter. It will probably, unless you've heard this theory before, it will be unlike anything you've ever heard. And if you can believe this much, cops fuck up, then cover their asses, including their buddies' asses and will go to their death with their mouth shut to protect their own fuck-ups, then this is at least plausible, and we'll talk about that. we got a bunch of other stuff today, though, because I am going to do a Q&A show, like you know something we do often on Mondays. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff today, so I'm going to blow through this real quick, this list. What are seed oils and what are not seed oils, and why do we say it's okay to use something like an avocado oil, right, or an olive oil? Why are those not seed oils? Well, they don't come from a seed, but we'll explain that better. Um, I also want to follow up on a comment that was left last week when we did the education show. And I talked about how you domesticate an animal and a comment that was made about it forming a pit in a listener's stomach. As soon as I began to explain it, I want to explain that pit. I think that'll be a little bit of an interesting discussion. Uh, I had a question on taking care of cutting, taking care of cutting boards. I had a cutting board that I had as an item of the day last year, last year, last week. And, um, I have some questions about the bacteria and fears and how do you actually take care of a cutting board? And how do you make sure you're not going to kill yourself with your cutting board? And before we even get there, I'll just say, when's the last time you read a newspaper article that somebody died because of a cutting board? Yeah. OK. Anyway, moving on. I have a course I've been talking about for a few weeks called Principle Based Permaculture Design. It is now available. You can take the course at HomeFoodSystems.com. It's on the course page. And it is it's very expensive. It costs zero dollars. It costs your email address. That's what it costs to register for the site and sign up. And then you can take that test or take that test. Take that course. Absolutely. For free. I will say this about that course. Do not believe because I made it free that it will always be free. It may or may not. I haven't decided yet. I have a lot of work into that course. I should be charging probably at least 20 bucks for it, if not 30 um, It's not the level of work that I put into the compost course, but it's, it's significant. And it is some of my better instruction. It is absolutely free. You should get it while you can. We'll talk about that briefly today. Um, what do you do if the inside of your grill's paint is peeling? Here's a hint. It may not be paint at all. though I'm not 100% sure because this was like an off-market cheap grill. But I'm going to talk to you about this and why a lot of people think I have paint! Peeling off the inside of my grill. Almost nobody that makes a grill, that makes good grills anyway, puts paint inside them. That would be dumb. So what is it? I'll tell you. It's a polymer. But some polymers are natural. (laughs) Anyway, some of you know what that is already. Uh, Baker Creek ended up selling some GMO seed. Well, one particular plant. I'll tell you why people lost their minds about it, why they shouldn't, and why I believe Baker Creek, and why I wouldn't worry about it going forward at all. Um... Other than to know that one seed, which I'm sure won't make the next catalog uh, and probably is off the site already. uh, Other than that, I I wouldn't really worry about this at all. Uh, Anyone have a coupon code for the free course? You don't need a coupon code, William. It's free. It's free. Just go to Home Food Systems, click on courses, and you will find it. It's free. It's 100% free for everybody, not just MSB. All right. Uh, Next up. Uh, How to deal with slugs without using ducks. Bill Mollison once famously quipped, you do not have a slug problem. You have a duck deficiency. A person asked me about dealing with slugs for their garden. Uh, Pacific Northwest, like slug ground zero. And uh, I just so happened to have listened to a recent podcast on cover cropping that wasn't really on. Like the show is the cover crop podcast, but this wasn't really cover cropping. It was slugs and bread dough. So some that and some other thoughts on dealing with slugs, because they can be a real problem. And would I build a biochar kiln, Would I rebuild a biochar kiln that I was happy with. Otherwise, just to get wood vinegar out of it. And the answer is no. But we'll talk about it anyway. All right. So the beer slug party, Kelly says this person tried beer. It didn't work. But I'm going to tell you what will work better. And it, it, it does involve the concept of yeast. But I will tell you why you should never, ever, never, ever use the words add beer for fermentation to anything ever in your life, ever, infinity, ever. There's no living yeast in the beer unless you made the beer yourself. You go to the store, you buy the beer, you bring it home, you pour it on something, you may as well have poured water on it. If it ferments... It was wild yeast on the thing because all of the beer made in America, anyways, pasteurized. If you're drinking Chimay or something bottle-conditioned, that's different. If you're a brewer, you know what I'm talking about. But, yeah, you're not going to get yeast odors from beer. Slugs will eat it. They like it. kind of smells good to them, but not yeast. The yeast are dead in your Coors Light, Miller Light, Bud Light, whatever, right? Nobody drinks Bud Light anymore because of uh, uh, whats his nut Crazy person. Anyway, let's dig into this. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day, though. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is John Pugliano of the Wealth Studying Podcast. John is one of us. He is a prepper, he's a ham radio operator, and he's a great investment manager. And he has a podcast called the Wealth Studying Podcast, where you can learn to grow your wealth like you grow your garden. You have time for this podcast, guys. I know like I'm a podcaster advertising somebody else's podcast. I don't really dig doing that. I have on well, my show every day. I want you to listen to me. But John's podcast is a couple times a week at most. Usually it's once or twice a week. And it's like 10 to 15 minute episodes. They're great. And it will really help enhance your financial IQ. Remember last week when we started uh, with the first episode in the series on education and redefining education, I said financial literacy was one of the big things that we were missing and if you want to start improving your financial literacy, one way to do that, start listening to the Wealth Studying Podcast. Next up today, Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason. You can find his website at usaburkeyfilters.com. I believe that water is the most important thing in your life because, well, other than, I guess, being able to breathe, it is. Take your water away for a few days and you will die. Take your oxygen away for a few minutes and you will die. So both of them are important. Water is really important, though. The Berkey filter has no moving parts. It's dead simple. You put it together. It looks great. You pour water in the top. It comes out the bottom perfectly clean and safe to drink. And remember, when you get a warning from your water company, like we are now advising you to boil your water, nine times out of ten, that problem was there for a week or two or more before they figured out it was a problem when enough people showed up at the ER. And if you're on a well, the only person to test your water is you. So your well water may be great, but you have no idea if it's been contaminated. If you're always drinking water out of a good filter system like Berkey, you'll have a hell of a lot less to worry about. And if there is a boil water advisory, you can just relax because it never applied to you in the first place. All right. So let's talk about this stuff with JFK. Now, I want to start off with why I think I think there's two reasons. And I think one is fully legitimate. And one is like just made up bullshit in our brains as to why people after 64 years, I guess it is, or something like that. Can't let this go and still are convinced that what we were told about the JFK assassination was not the truth. And then there's a million permeations of this is what really happened. And that's how conspiracy theories are. If you have enough reason to doubt the explanation and you don't have a definitive explanation then all kinds of explanations are created to fill them in, right? So the first reason is because something stinks. The entire way everything was handled stinks. It doesn't make sense. The Zapruder film and what you see explode out of Kennedy's head, the story that that shot came from behind the president's right, 16 degrees up, hit his head and did that out of a surplus Carcano rifle with a full metal jacket slug, and it looks like a watermelon is exploding, that is one of many things that don't make sense. The way the Secret Service treated Dallas PD, took the body home, the crap that went on with the autopsy, the stalling, the intimidation tactics by uh, Arlen Specter, who would later become Senator of Pennsylvania, uh, all of that adds up to something ain't right. Something isn't right, and people know when something isn't right. And I believe it's something like 78 or... 79% 79% of people do not believe that JFK was killed only by Lee Harvey Oswald as the Warren Commission solved. That's, that's insane, honestly. I don't, again, I don't think there is, 9-11 doesn't come close. Do you believe the official story or some, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this, you have to think about it this way, some alternative explanation, not Joe Blow's explanation, just something else. So, that's one. The other reason, though, and this is a fabrication in the minds of people. JFK has been lionized to have been some kind of Superman. There's even a song from the 80s. You can look it up and see who it was really about. And one of the lines that it is Superman was killed today in Dallas. JFK was loved by the American people like a rock star. And I don't even think you can understand the cult of personality around JFK if you weren't around. And I wasn't in the 1960s to understand that celebrity and influence and being good looking and, you know, any kind of air or what have you around a person had much more power than it does today. We have so many well-known people today that it's not as big of a deal like And this even goes back to the 80s. If if you got on the news for five seconds in 1985, you called everybody you know, watch TV tonight, I'm going to be on the news, right? Today, if you're on the news for five seconds, no one gives two shits. Even you don't care, right? You might mention it, but you don't care. We made JFK out to be some sort of savior that was taken from us. And because of that, now we want to throw all this. The CIA did it. The FBI did it. J. Edgar Hoover did it. The ghost of bullshit Bob did it, Right. But here is something that I always fall back to. That is never attribute to incompetence or never attribute to malice that which can be explained through incompetence. Okay, and never trust your government at the same time. Now, I'm going to I'm going to say something here that has nothing to do directly with what I'm about to talk to you about. But do you believe the following is true? On occasion, law enforcement officers, which the Secret Service is, fuck shit up, hide it, and stick together to keep it hidden, especially if it would hurt everybody involved. Do you believe that? Yes or no in the live chat. Don't worry about law enfor- Don't worry about the Kennedy assassination right now. Do you believe that cops, and when I say cops, again I mean beat cops, sheriffs, deputies, state cops, FBI. See, anybody in that realm, when they fuck up, they hide it if they can. And the bigger the fuck up, and the more it will hurt them, the more likely they are to hide it. Okay. So here, I'm not going to give every detail. I'm going to give you some resources. This is outlined and was outlined initially in a book. And the book was called Mortal Error. And this book was released in 2013. But the gentleman who, who was... Not the writer of the book, but the guy that did the research had this theory out all the way back in the 1970s. And the guy that did this was a ballistics expert. He really knew his stuff. And what he sleuthed out of this was not done from a standpoint that I think anybody else ever did, which is everybody else had an agenda. To prove something one way or another. So the Warren Commission obviously had an agenda to say Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. He fired all three shots, two hit, one hit Kennedy alone, one hit Kennedy and Conley, the other one missed. That was their agenda. So they started out with that agenda. Everybody else I've seen go at this, including people that I respect, like Oliver Stone, came at it from the standpoint of the CIA killed Kennedy or the CIA was working Oswald or something like that which I'm not even what I'm about to tell you wouldn't even take away that maybe the CIA was working with Oswald. okay? but listen to the look at the title there, Mortal Error. And I found out about this book last night because of a a documentary. If you have Amazon Prime, you can watch for free. It came out in 2013. It's called JFK, The Smoking Gun. And this was one of the most amazing things. My wife and I watched this last night and it was one of those things that when you're watching it, Whenever one of us got up to go to the bathroom or anything, you hit pause, right? We didn't want to miss it. I mean, it was very engaging. And I'm going to tell you a story. And I'm going to get up to the point where two shots have been fired. And I want you to understand the story I'm about to tell you is factual. Once we get to the third shot being fired, we're going to move into the realm of conspiracy. The sequence of events went. There was a shot fired. Kennedy grabbed himself and said, oh, my God, I've been hit. A second shot was fired that appeared to go through Kennedy's back and at his throat and hit Conley. That's the magic bullet. We're not going to get that into that today, but I will just tell you a lot of the shit that you've seen with the bullet making all these zigzags. And it's covered in this documentary. If you put Conley's junk seat where it was, which was lower and t- toward the center of the car from Kennedy, the bullet on the single bullet theory actually makes sense. I'm not saying it didn't. I'm just saying you've got to let that go to understand what I'm saying. Two shots fired. That is the assertion that one missed, one struck both people. Connolly says that the second shot he was hit. Remember, he survived. He never believed the official explanation himself for a second. And it, I'm still on the fact. At that point, a man in the the chase car, the, the car with eight Secret service agents in it, directly behind the president, the man in the back driver's side seat, furthest back in the car, stood up with an M16 in his hands. That's the point that we know. Everything I just told you is factual. Now, where the bullets hit or whatever, we don't know, but there were two shots fired and a secret service agent stood up in the back, furthest back portion of the car with Four Secret Service agents in it and two on each side hanging on the side of it. We know this. There were seven other Secret Service agents that said he had that gun in his hand when the third shot went off. Okay. Here's the actual theory. Well, let's, let's, I got another part that's fact before we go to theory. Okay. The Secret Service detail in that vehicle, knowing that they had to protect the president the next morning spent all night getting fucked up and banging hookers. This is fact. This is known. It's not even disputed. The gentleman that stood up with the gun was supposed to be driving the car. Let me say that again. The gentleman that stood up with the rifle was supposed to be driving the car that day. He wasn't driving the car because the Secret Service guys, the other guys, he was like the only one that didn't go out and get fucked up. They were out till 5 a.m. at a Dallas whorehouse boozing it up and banging hookers. Again, this is known. They gave him the gun because all of them were a little not quite there, and he was not an agent that was generally given that kind of assignment. This dude, that morning before they made the switch, was polishing the cars and cleaning the windshields. You got this? Not your high-end operative here. When asked about the rifle, his story was he heard the shots, looked back toward the, the window, pulled up the rifle, pulled back the charging handle, and locked in a round. But by the time he had done that, they were under the overpass and gone. There are numerous witnesses that say, number one, that didn't. I'm still on facts here, Number one, that did not happen. He had that rifle in hand right there in Dealey Plaza when the third shot was fired. You starting to see where this is going? Okay. Next, the Secret Service, multiple agents who were not in that car, testified, we don't do this. We don't put a rifle in the bottom of the car with a magazine in and around not chambered when we're protecting the president." A rifle for protecting the president in Secret Service custody will be cocked, lock, ready to rock. He says he charged it and took the safety off and looked and never fired a shot. The theory is when he stood up, freaked out by what was going on in a moving vehicle, had the rifle level, accidentally fired the shot and blew Kennedy's head off. So Oswald missed possibly some ricochet impacted the president, second shot through the back, out the neck, into Connolly, Oswald Hall's ass, or whoever was up there, if it wasn't Oswald, Secret Service agent fucks up, shoots the president in the back of the head by accident. This sounds insane until you do something. Again, I watched the Zapruder film so many times. I can see it in my head, but I'm going to play it for you guys right now. And I want you to look at – I'm only going to play, like, the part right up, like, just when he comes out, he's already been hit, and he gets hit in the head. I want you to look, if you're watching the video, and if you're not and you're on the audio, go look at this up. Watch what happens to Kennedy's head. And I'm going to say that a reason I believe that up until now, you would have said that shot may have came from the front is because it could not have come from 16 degrees uh, angle to the president's right from behind. This shot would not do what it does. Here's the other thing, though. This ballistics expert said it also shouldn't cause a head to explode like that. It shouldn't have fragmented. There shouldn't have been like 30 or 40 tiny pieces of bullet left in the president's head. Now watch this. For those of you who have, you know, maybe never seen it or what have you, watch the president's head. Right here. Okay. Now, everybody that looks at that, and I remember watching this in high school over and over again and saying he was hit from the front. But if you look at it, then you shouldn't have exit wound to the front. And it blew the whole top of the man's cranium off, and it blew a chunk of his brain out of his car. One more time. One more time. Okay. Now. I want you, and I know this is hard for people, because they, Jones says no one, no, there is no way anybody would stand up when bullets are flying unless they know what the deal is. That is bullshit. That is bullshit, and I challenge you to go look at Re, Reagan's attempted assassination then, and watch the Secret Service agents follow their training, lay on top of freaking uh Reagan. Activate everywhere and do their job exactly the way they're supposed to do. Don't give me don't don't give me this bullshit that people that are trained to do a job like this will cower when they hear a shot. Don't make that you can make a lot of excuses here, but don't make that one with me because I know better. I know better. If if you think that way, I'll tell you something. You've never been trained to deal with a combat style situation because it's some level you'll take cover, but it's also like exactly what you're gonna do is identify the threat. Identify the threat. So I I, you can slow the the playback. Yeah, Um, I have a better copy of the Sapruder film done in super slow motion with image sharpening. I am not going to play it. I do have a link in the audio notes that will go out as soon as I'm done with this video uh, live stream. And the reason I'm not playing it is it puts a big disclaimer on it from YouTube. So I know if I play it, they're going to do that to my video, demonetize it and whatever. So I'm not going to include that video in my live stream. But I do have a link to it where you can go look at it. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to think. I want you to think this way. Look at that shot. See the mist come out of his head. And ask yourself, would a shot from an AR-15, M-16, whatever, 223-556, Would look like from about 25 feet away, coming in at a low angle from the president's left and out the right side. And you know what it looked like? It would look exactly like that. Now, here's what somebody says. Watch the driver. Watch the driver. I've heard this too. The driver did it. Now, this is stupid again. Here's what, here's the driver did it, right? And nobody saw it, right? Not the guy that seven other agents say and dozens of eyewitnesses in the crowd say shot shot man stood up with a rifle in his hand not him no it was somebody else that we have no evidence ever had a gun in his possession at the time of the shooting see and i'm going to tell you i think this is this mental desire that there had to be a mass conspiracy to kill him in the first place that the government was involved in i'm not even saying that didn't happen it's totally possible that the CIA was in on it, just like Robert Kennedy Jr. still believes today, that they did, they were working Oswald, that he was known, and the plan was for Oswald to kill Kennedy or someone like him. For all you know, there was a CIA operative up there in that sniper's nest. There's a lot of other things I don't want to give away in this because I want you to go research it for yourself. And I want you to be very clear, George Hickey, that is the gentleman's name. By the way, the guy that wrote the book, so he writes the book, they're going to publish the book. They send multiple registered letters to Hickey. We're, we're going to do this book. This is how you come out in it. If you want to make any statements that I include in this book, you need to contact us now. They did this multiple times. they The first one was sent six months before the book was released. Hickey never responded, but they know he got the the uh, the the mail. Because he signed for the registered mail. They've got his signature. So he got it. He read it, did not respond. Two years after the book was released, when it flopped, by the way, because, again, everybody wants it to be some sort of mass conspiracy prior to the fact rather than after. Then he opened up a lawsuit. It was dismissed. But it became such a nuisance lawsuit that the publisher and the author ended up, Settling it to get it to go away because they, you could just constantly have them every time they refile, you have to answer and it gets expensive. That's there's a there's like a, a business in doing this now. Why would you wait two years to do that? Why, why would you wait two years to do that? So here's, here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying there's not a conspiracy. I'm saying if you watch the whole thing, you might decide just like I did, this might be the most plausible explanation you ever. I also don't usually talk about conspiracy theories. And why? Because they do not pertain to our lives in general any meaningful way. I can say whatever I want about the stabby stab. Either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. You've made your decision and there's no point in me continuing to tell you that you are taking a risk when you do it. You've decided to take the risk or believe Rachel Maddow, whatever it is. This is different. This is completely consistent with what we know about law enforcement, isn't it, boys and girls? Isn't it boys and girls Now, here's the thing when I, when I was watching this is they were leading up to this reveal. I'm like, this is no, this is stupid. You know how the hell would this guy shoot him with seven other agents around them and they would all have to be in on it. And to keep a conspiracy functional, you keep the number of people that know to the absolute minimum. Once they said it was accidental. Now I, I just want you to put yourself, put yourself into that situation 1960s not 2024s people's trust in law enforcement is high but it's beginning to crack we're heading into the flower child age guys it's beginning to crack there are only four stations abc nbc cbs and pbs on television if you don't see something you don't see it unless they replay it for you themselves there's no dvrs there's no vcrs there's none of that shit The Secret Service is considered the highest and most esteemed group of people on planet Earth, even though they were out banging hookers at 5 a.m. when they were supposed to be getting ready to take care of the president. You're in that car. You were drunk off your stinking ass. An actual assassin that's now in custody did shoot the president. And you were in a car where a guy that should have never had a gun in his hand shot the president, too, By accident, because you were too damn drunk to do your job right. Would you be willing to hide that? Would you be? And once you did it, once you did it, wouldn't you then be married to it for life? How could you ever come out and admit what you did? And every day that went, the harder that would become. So I'm not saying this happened. I'm saying I have yet to be given a conspiracy theory about the Kennedy assassination that logistically makes more sense than this. And I think what will do it for you if you'll throw away everything that you're holding on to with this because Kennedy was a god. He had come back to save us, and he was going to bring back the silver standard and the gold standard and get rid of the Rothschilds. None of that shit was going to happen. Stop making this guy out to be Superman or a hero. Just see him as what he was. He was a pretty decent Democrat for the time. There was a very popular president. That's it. That's all the guy ever was. He wasn't going to fix everything. He wasn't going to do all all the shit that people say Kennedy was going to do. Go look at what he did. He presided over incredibly high taxes. Incredibly high taxes. He was very much you know, in line with the time for what we would think of as social justice today, though that was much less a thing and probably better back then. He was a decent president. He was not the savior of mankind taken from us by J. Edgar Hoover or the CIA. Right. No matter who killed him, he wasn't that. And you have to let go of that to be able to consider something outside of that space. I'm just asking you to consider it. But once you see the angle of the shot for what it is, and then you look at the Sabruder film, nothing about it surprises you. Because the whole thing that the shot came from the front because his head went back. The guy's head was down like this when he got shot. You have a spray coming out over the right eye. We've all seen it. Everybody's seen a a cantaloupe shot with an AR-15. I'm just saying, it's... It's definitely possible. And then the real conspiracy theory would be The Secret Service covered it up. Arlen Spector's intimidation tactics were well documented. And so my belief is, after watching this most probable, not here's what happened, most probable thing, what I just told you happened. Some of the people above these agents found out it happened. They orchestrated the absolute clusterfuck of an autopsy that was never an autopsy. They took Kennedy's brain and it disappeared. The one doctor went and told the other doctor to give it to him because Bobby Kennedy wanted his brain and the family wanted the brain. And now it's gone. There's there's a lot more to it. It's up to you if you want to watch it or not, if you think it's worth your time. If you only tuned in for the Kennedy's discussion, bye bye, because now we're going to talk about more practical things. But I thought this would be a good one to, to, to lead off with today and make over half the show, honestly, because it does pertain to what we deal with today. I'm not saying cops are liars in general. I'm saying cops lie because they're humans and humans lie and that they have a lot of ability to get away with lies and they do cover each other's asses. And it might be the first place we need to look when something like this happens in the future. Just maybe. All right, moving on. I got an email from someone said, Hey, you said not to eat seed oils. Okay, fine. You also say things like, you know what? You can use olive oil, olive oil. You can use avocado oil or coconut oil. How is an olive's oil or an avocado's oil, not a seed oil? Well, let's give you the superficial mainstream uh, market uh, designation difference first, and then we'll give you the actually more important one. A seed oil, as defined under food regulations, is from an annual plant that produces a seed. The closest thing to that that would not be from an annual plant would be a nut oil, which I would also say, unless you're using very small amounts of it for flavoring or something like like a walnut oil or whatever, um, you really got to have to treat it mostly like a seed oil as well. Because part of the problem with seed oil is you would never ingest enough seed to get that much oil, and because of what they're doing with it. Now, Jeff says, what about avocado seed oil? That would be avocado pit oil, and I'm not sure that that's a thing, but then we could have that discussion if you can show me that it is. But avocados have pits. They're a fruit. They don't have seed that's produced on the plant, which is a seed oil. So think about where do we get seed oil? Sunflower oil, canola oil, corn oil, they all come from seed, like something that you would plant in the ground and it would grow. So where does the oil from an olive come from? The flesh of the fruit itself. Olives are high in fat. If I take the pit out of an olive and I plant the pulp where the oil comes from, I will get nothing. Well, I'll get a little rotted olive in the ground. Where does avocado oil come from? The flesh of the avocado, not the pit. Right? Where does coconut oil come from? Ah, I got you. The whole coconut's a seed. No, it's not. Coconuts are fruits. The flesh of the coconut. You can separate the oil. Now, here's something that's important about these three in particular. And there may be some other plant oils that I'm okay with that I just don't remember or don't know about. But none of them really require any sort of industrial process to get the oil out. It doesn't mean none are ever used. It means they don't require it. If you looked at how canola oil was made from beginning to end, unless there's something wrong in your brain, you would never eat it again. It's an absolute sludge industrial lubricant that we should not put in our bodies. It is not human food. How do you make olive oil? You put olives in a press and gently press them and the oil comes out. You can pretty much do the same thing with avocado. How do you make coconut oil? You take the flesh of a ripe coconut and you use some method to separate it. The easiest one is to put it in hot water. It will release the fat from the uh, from the coconut and then let it cool and it will rise to the surface and it can be scraped off. So, th- these are very simple, straightforward, ancient extraction technologies. So, if you went back to, let's say, well, I don't know, 1550, you wouldn't have found anybody that was eating corn oil or sunflower oil or canola oil because they couldn't get the oil. But you would have found people using all other three oils one way or another, right? Olive oil goes back to like pre-biblical times basically like you read about olive oil being used for lamps in the old testament it's been around forever so it's just not a seed oil is it as good for you in my opinion as a animal derived fat like quality pig lard or beef tallow my answer is no but i don't have any problem with using it it may not be as good, but I, I don't look at it as being less bad. I look at olive oil, avocado oil, et cetera, unless we're like sitting there drinking it out of a glass. And we're talking about cooking here, right? We're not talking about like, if you read the ingredients of all the box food, it's literally like partially hydronated oils that will stay solid. that are like 50%, a hundred percent, you know, 50% of the calories in, in the thing you're eating. That That's a different situation. So, I don't worry about them at all. Best case would be animal fats because I believe they are disinflammatory. But I would say that these oils are non-inflammatory, or if they're inflammatory at all, it's incredibly minor. And used appropriately, you're never going to eat enough of it anyway, right? So that's that's my explanation there for you. Um, now, I got an email from somebody, or actually it was a comment on the episode from last week, where I said about redefining education. I haven't decided whether we're going to do part two of that this week, or I'm going to skip a week. I think I'm going to skip a week and kind of move that series along like every other week until we kind of wear it out. But the first part of it, I talked about how we domesticate animals and how that applies to your children in the education system. And what this guy said, is, I said, the first thing you do is you separate the young from the parent. And he said, the second I said that, His gut sank. Let me tell you why. Because there are certain things that are so true that when you hear them, even for the first time, you intrinsically know this is right. And your brain is capable of saying, if this, then that. And then you simply say, if you think, especially if you're a parent. And I think a parent will understand this inherently more than somebody who's never been a parent. How helpless your child is at five years old when we hand them over to the state and we call it kindergarten or four years old when we hand them over into pre-K, which has been pushed for so hard. If you really think about it. It is the minimum age where the state can do this without having to change diapers and give bottles. Like, obviously, if they wanted full control they would be right there in the delivery room, here's your baby, goodbye, and they would steal your baby. Logistically, you, you you can't really do this, right? Like this logistically, like you need your slaves to care for themselves. So you send mom and dad home to feed the baby and take care of the baby and stay up all night and deal with shitty diapers and everything. But the minute that that kid is actually capable of walking around and learning and understanding, you take them away from the parent You put them into a child CAFO, right? And you begin the programming that will last 13 years. You tell the parent, I want you to help. But what you mean is shut up, do as you're told and tell your child to do the same. Because any parent that ever pushes back on anything the school says is ruthlessly attacked. Which would be when the farmer takes the calf away, what does he do if the cow tries to get to the calf? Cattle prod shocks her back into her field. The reason it made your stomach sink, if it did, or if it's doing it right now, it's because it's true. It's because it's true. Most of them, we started with a conspiracy theory. Most of the conspiracy theories are in plain sight. They're not hard to see. And the ones that are the worst aren't even talked about as conspiracy theories. There is an orchestrated intent to program children to obey the state. It has been in place since the Prussian education system was installed in this country in the 1800s. And all it's done has gotten worse and more true over time. And there is a, there's two things at play here. One is there's a small number of people that really know what they're doing, but then there's all kinds of people that are involved that they just, they're compartmentalized. Your, your kid's second grade teacher doesn't really understand that she's programming the minds of seven-year-olds to obey the state, but she is. And she'll defend it right up until the day she retires. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? I can't tell you how many school teachers I hear from that tell me how right I am about every, not just this, everything I say about the education system. And you know what they all have in common? They're all former teachers. They're either retired or they quit. And almost every one of them, by the time they're willing to reach out to somebody like me and tell me what they really think, have been separated for at least two years. I think that's about how long it takes to separate from that system to where you can totally be honest with yourself and therefore others about what it is. And what I've never seen is anybody who's a former teacher, former, not current, Tell me that I'm 100 percent wrong. I've had many tell me I'm 100 percent right. I've had many tell me I just don't know. Well, you're right about this and this and this, but not this. Right. But I've never had anybody who was a teacher and quit or retired for at least two years. Say, Jack, you've got this all wrong. The education system's just fine. It's wonderful. We really care about the kids. We're just trying to help them. No, administrators and principals don't see them as a dollar sign. That's not why you have to have a note from, you know, from your doctor versus your mom. just said you were homesick for two days. That, nothing to do with that. They just want to make sure parents are actually taking care of their kids. Yeah. Yeah. Never trust the state with your children. If you have to use the government schools and that's what they are, do not call them public schools. Albertsons is a public grocery store. If you want to go to Albertsons, you drive your car in the parking lot, you park it, you walk in the door and you go to Albertsons. Try that with your school. You'll end up arrested because we're protecting the kids. Really, you're protecting the kids from the parent that, you know, on a first name basis. You tell them when they can come, what they can do. They don't even want to let parents sit in classrooms and observe. Why? Because you separate livestock from its parent when you want to domesticate it socialization in the way that the state uses the term the way that the education system uses the term is actually domestication domestication because they tell your kids what when they talk to each other Billy you're not here to socialize but they need socialization no obedience training domestication moving on Um, I got an email from last week also and it was about cutting boards and I think it was because I ran this particular cutting board as my item of the day, one of the days last week. It is a bamboo and grain cutting board. And grain is important for the entirety of this discussion, though not as important as some people make it out to be. And I said a couple things. If you wash it and care for it and and use like a good mineral oil on it, it will last you know, all for essential, all essential purposes, it'll last a lifetime. Well, somebody emailed me, and I like this guy. He emails me all the time, really smart dude, so I'm not picking on him at all. But he said, number one, how do I take care of it properly? And two, what about bacteria? Okay, I'm going to go back to this. When was the last time that you saw that somebody ended up in the hospital because they improperly used a cutting board? Now... <laughs> Number one way people get sick from chicken is cross-contamination. So I'm not saying you can take a raw chicken, put it on your cutting board, cut it, throw it into the oven, wipe it off but not clean it, then make your salad on the same cutting board and eat a raw salad and not risk getting sick. Because of course you could at that point. Of course you could. How do you take care of a cutting board? Whenever you cut something on it that's raw, that you shouldn't eat raw, Before you cut anything else on it, you use common, everyday soap, dish soap, and a a pad, and you scrub it off, and you rinse all the soap off of it with hot water, and you dry it. That's all. There's nothing else. You do not need 18 different cutting boards in different colors so that this one's for onions, and this one's for chicken, and this one's for pork. This is stupid. Don't do this. Okay? Okay. We have been using cutting boards as human beings in our kitchen for longer than anybody right now has been alive. Going back to your great grandparents before they were born, we've been using cutting boards. And this has never been a freaking problem ever because it's not because it isn't. And that's all there is to it. And there's you're waiting for me to say something else. There isn't anything else to say. Wash it like you do a dish and go on with your life. One more time. Wash it like you wash a dish and go on with your life. That's it. Now, for care, mineral oil should be applied to your cutting board probably once every two months or if it ever seems or looks dry. And a lot of times when you get a brand new cutting board, it's really saturated with mineral oil. And a lot of times it isn't. So when you first get one, you may have to do quite a few coats until it stops taking oil on. And then just do it every every two months. Wash it. Put oil on it every two months. That's it. There's no more. There's no more. I don't have any more. Nope. there's no secrets. You're not going to die. You're not going to get ass flu or whatever the hell it is you think you're going to get from using a cutting board. And you want an end grain cutting board. You want an end grain cutting board. Because if you look at your fingers from the top, like put your hands together like you're praying with your hands straight up and look down, that's what end grain looks like. And when the blade of the knife goes across that end grain, it falls into those grooves and you get a nice soft cut and good performance on your board and you don't overly dull your knife. That's it. Moving on. There's nothing else. Okay. Um, I did want to let you guys know this. The principle-based permaculture design course is now finally available. I worked on this a long time. Even though I knew I was going to give this course away for free, I did not treat it like a throwaway course. I have several weeks of work into developing the syllabus, the PowerPoint presentations, the the quizzes, everything. And this course does come with a full certification. At the end of it, you pass all the exams. You get a certificate signed by me. You can download it, print it out, mail it to your friends, throw it away, not care about it. It's all up to you, but it comes with everything that any course from Home Food Systems would come with. And I thought it would be a good way for you guys to get a feel of what it's like to take one of my classes and see how it's different from just me podcasting. It doesn't look a lot different. I use the same software to do it. I have a lot more slides that I rely on than I do in a podcast. Um, it's a lot more detailed and in-depth. And it comes with quizzes and it's designed to teach instead of just to entertain right? or to entertain and to teach. right? It's really designed to be a teaching tool. So what is this course about? It is based on three things, the prime directive and ethics and the 12 permaculture principles. So the prime directive, the ethics and the principles. And when I say 12 principles, I'm talking about the principles principles that were codified by David Holgram, co-founder of the permaculture movement. And we go through each of those principles. We talk about how to understand them and extrapolate them into actual design on your property, how to change the way you see your property and so my hope really my biggest goal for this course is that when you're done with it and somebody says viewed through the permaculture lens that will actually make sense to you because by the time it's done you should be able to take any one or two or three of these principles at any given time and walk a property with just that principle or a couple in your mind and start seeing design opportunities and then start seeing interconnections. So I don't have a lot more to say about it other than it's 100 percent free and it probably won't always be free. So you probably want to sign up for it and take it for free while you can. And while you're there, think about taking the bioreactor compost course as well. And I am now in the process of designing, building and recording the next one, which will be on cover crops. That one will not be free. Moving on from there. Um, had somebody email me several times, so they must be really concerned about this, and I'm not picking on them, they just did, and it is, hey, I bought this this grill, it's actually a really cheap grill, and it's now got the paint peeling on the inside from the lid, so there I am cooking my food, and this paint is just like, getting heated up and falling on my food, and I think that's gross. And What do I do about it? And do I just scrape it off? Do I have to worry about it? What have you? Okay. Now, if you have a question for me, Jesse, I'm going to come back to you on Q&A because I saw that question. I haven't seen anybody else put the word question in all caps, question in all caps, in the The uh, live chat and I'll come back and answer. But I'll tell you, Jesse, there isn't one, but I'll I'll answer it more officially in a minute. Anyway, so there's two potential answers to this question. And what the person told me that they've mainly been doing with this grill makes me believe the first answer is probably the case. If it was a Weber kettle, for instance, I would just simply tell you there's nothing for you to worry about because you do not have paint. Peeling from the lid of your grill, even though I, you know, I, I know you're gonna to swear to God and you're gonna send me pictures of the paint peeling from the grill. You can look it up on Weber's website. Weber does not paint the inside of their grills. There's no painting. There's no paint. Well, what is it there? It's grease, sort of. It's grease. It's liquid smoke that's solidified. It's a polymer. It's a polymer that eventually begins to break down and release itself. It's basically residue. It's cooking residue. And you say, polymer, that's a toxic substance that's made by humans in a lab. And, well, there's polymers that are made that way, but polymers are natural uh, occurring phenomenon as well. And when you when you cook with cast iron and you put that little coating of oil on it and then you cook and then you clean it, and you don't use soap and water because you're sinful if you do and you do that over time. And eventually you get a cast iron or a carbon steel skillet where you put an egg in it and it'll slide around like it's on Teflon. That hardened oil and all those little residues and everything that's been maintained and constantly cleaned and kept smooth, that's a polymer. It's a similar thing that's happening in the roof of your grill. It forms a coating and it starts to peel and it looks just like paint. What should you do? Take a stiff wire brush, knock off as much as you can, and go on with your life. That's it. There's nothing to be done. Now, I said there's two possibilities, right? What's the other possibility? The other possibility is you bought a really cheap grill from some Chinese company that totally did spray paint the inside of a grill. If that's the case, it's a different situation. But if you look this up, you'll find the majority of people asking the questions on Weber Kettles. And what do people with Weber Kettles do with them? They grill. No, they smoke. Like, And this guy... It's been smoking pork butts, so I think that's what you got going on. Basically, you have solidified liquid smoke and grease that has formed a coating on your lid, and it's peeling off, and you probably should not worry about it at all. All right, moving on from there. Um, I wanted to let you know about this because I talk about them. At least once a year, I do a show dedicated to the new Baker Creek catalog. I got a concerned email from expert council member Ben Falk. So I know you recommend these guys, so I think you need to know about this. They were selling GMO seeds. Oh, Ben, um, just don't overstate it, bro. They were selling a single variety of seed that ended up being a genetically modified seed. Purple Galaxy tomato is a GMO tomato seed. And you might be like, well, how would that happen? Clearly, there's a conspiracy afoot here. Jerry Gettle is trying to, 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 to lie and to get us. And there are people freaking out like about it all over online. As though that's what happened. Jerry Gettle, who's the owner of Baker Creek, is in league with Monsanto, Conagra and Bear to try to poison us with GMOC. Stop. This is Baker Creek's official explanation. They purchased this particular seed from a breeder in Europe. Where that breeder of seeds is in Europe and that supply house is of seeds in Europe, GMOs are illegal. They're not grown, they're not produced, and they're not sold in stores. So when they were told this is an heirloom variety seed, they believed the supplier who they had dealt with before and they bought the seed. And their story is the supplier, too, was deceived by this seed stock and believed it also to be a non-GMO seed and an heirloom variety, which it wasn't. And it was a mistake, and you can blame the GMO seed companies for this because they're deceptive in their marketing practices. I believe Baker Creek. I also think that if you're really concerned that you don't want any GMO seeds whatsoever, you shouldn't buy purple galaxy tomato from Baker Creek, and the rest of what you should do is absolutely the square root of F all, nothing. Go on with your life and don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. And this would be a good time for me to reiterate what my problem with GMO seeds are. One, we're jacking around with the essence of life, and we don't know what the consequences of that will be long term. That's one of my problems, but it's not my big problem. It's what are you GMOing the seed to do? There's two main things that we GMO seeds to do. One is bad and one is worse. The bad one is that we GMO seeds so that they will be able to grow where they shouldn't grow, and specifically things to be like tolerant of salt and what have you. In of itself, I don't have a huge problem with that. But the reasoning behind it is, well, we're causing high salinity in our farm soil. It used to be great soil. So now we need a GMO seed that we can grow and salt the soil instead of stop salting the soil. That's my problem there. But that's the minor one. The bigger one is they primarily are GMOing seeds so it can be sprayed with herbicide and not dying. That way we can take a bunch of soybeans, put them in the ground, and midway through the season, splay glyphosate right on the soybeans, kill all the weeds, but not affect the soybeans, and then you eat glyphosate-laden soybean and soybean oil, glyphosate or atrazine-laden corn, etc. And if you test the blood of Americans, specifically around the world big time, but really Americans, because we're so okay with it in our wonderfully non-corrupt system here, right, with the FDA looking out of out of us for etc. um we all have glyphosate in our bodies including people that eat 100% organic like still have because of overspray and things like that. So it is a very toxic thing. The act of actually selectively altering the genetics of a seed itself in theory I don't hate it I just don't trust the people doing it. But like there is a huge movement right now to use versions of GMOs to reestablish the American chestnut in a way that will make it immune to chestnut blight. If you actually do what you say you're going to do there, you don't patent it and keep people from growing it without them paying you a fee and you're not GMOing it so we can spray the chestnut with like chestnut aphid toxins or something, then fine. I'm okay with that. So I'm just not really worried about, this whole thing. I see this as an error. And I see if you're buying from someone who's selling from a place where GMOs are illegal in the first place, you've dealt with them in the past and they tell you it's not GMO. And when it comes out, you say, yeah, we found out you were right and we're not going to sell it anymore. I, I, I'm not going to hold somebody's mistake against them for the rest of their life, especially when unlike certain people, they admit it. Hmm. Go back to the beginning of the episode if you don't catch that reference. Uh, moving on. Um, Someone asked me about slugs, and this person I think was in Oregon or Washington, somewhere Pacific Northwest, where slugs are like, you know, like the slug party land, right? Like they hang out, like slug a probably happens in Washington State. And they said that they had heard about using beer, and they put beer out to lure the slugs out of the garden, first mistake, and all it did was lure slugs out of the forest, and all the ones in the garden, were still having head spins on top of the tomatoes that eat and everything. And what can we do to get rid of slugs without using something like sluggo or something like that? It's toxic. It's expensive. And every time it rains, it goes away and you have to reapply it. All right. So number one, if I was going to make beer traps for slugs, which basically you take a container, you fill it up with beer. You put a cover over it and you bury it in the ground so that the slug crawls under the cover, falls in the beer and drowns. Right. If I was going to do that, I wouldn't do it outside my garden, trying to lure the slugs outside of the garden. I would go to exactly where I see the most damage in the garden, and I would sink it in the ground right next to the plants that they're chomping on, where they are. And then the ones that go there, you would kill them, because they would already be there and go, "Mm, mmm, yum, beer, bloop. Now, I'm going to tell you, there is this I don't know exactly how this became ingrained in the American psyche, and I hear it from all kinds of people. Add beer to it so it'll ferment. There is no live yeast in a can of beer from the 7-Eleven. Again, if you're buying Chimay or Duval, like you wouldn't dump that into a slug trap anyway. You're not going to dump a bottle of beer that's $18 a bottle into a slug trap unless you have more money than brains. There is no live yeast. Dumping water in will create the same amount of fermentation. There is alcohol and there is carbon dioxide. Those two things can both be attractive to many things, not just slugs. CO2, you know what's really attracted to CO2? What's really attracted to CO2? Mosquitoes. Mosquitoes love CO2. Why? What do you think you exhale? What do you think you perspire? If a mosquito detects heat and CO2, it says, ah, there's a warm-blooded creature here that I can stab and suck its blood. So lots of things are attracted to CO2 and the aroma of alcohol, right? And then beer does have kind of this, like, residual yeasty odor and that may have something to do with it. But nothing will attract a slug like active yeast. What makes yeast Active, bread dough, bread dough. So I just listened to this podcast. It was on the Cover Crop Strategies podcast, but it was a specific episode. I have a link in the audio notes for you. And it was a guy, and they are using poison to kill the slugs. But what they're doing is a targeted uh, poisoning, right? And I think it was an organic poison, too. I'm, I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter. But their strategy is if we attract the slugs to a specific location, then we can spl- spot apply that which kills them. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but they put out all of these traps, some with just beer and some with the bread dough, and there were several hundred in totality in the traps with the beer, and it was tens of thousands in the bread dough traps. So how would I do this? I would combine the two for a garden level situation, right in the garden. I would sink a container that I would put beer in or salt water, right? Or beer with salt. Cause what happens when salt gets on a slug, we all know, right? And so that would ensure nobody's getting out. And I would basically make like a little Island in the dish. And I would throw an active bit of bread dough in there and with it being contained by some sort of a cover so that it had to come in from the side, the odor of that would just waft. And again, I would put it in the garden. I would not try to lure the slugs out of the garden. I would try to kill the slugs that are already in the garden. Why would they come out of there? They like it in there. It's wonderful. Now, I do have a Bill Mollison slug method. you got to really want it to do this, but it'll work. You make an electric slug fence. I'm not kidding. So the easiest way to do this is with PVC pipe and some little screws and around your guard. Now you got to kill everybody who's in there first because they'll just stay in there and keep breeding, Right. But you put basically a, a, an outline around your fence with little screws and then you attach a little single bare piece of copper wire, just like you would a full size electric fence, except it's tiny and it's low to the ground and you can power it with a nine volt battery and everybody knows who's ever tricked anybody into do it or got tricked into doing it. Even when that battery is dead, what happens when you stick your tongue to it? It has to be a lot dead for that to stop happening, right? It doesn't feel good. So now you've got this setup. up now, just like an electric fence, you got to keep stuff from touching it, right? If the overgrowth happens and crawl over it, like, like using carpet to get over Costina wire, right? And plus you can ground it out. But here's how Bill described it. He goes, here comes your slugger, your snail. And he goes, what's that? He's got his two fingers sticking up kind of like a, like a hook. Those of you on the video, you can see what I'm saying. And, of course, all the students go, that's its eyes, right? And he says, so here comes your snail, and it comes up. And what touches that wire? It's eyes. You're a wet little critter, and you're hitting nine volts with your eyes. He said, it'll cross their eyes, and they won't come in. So I don't know if that works. But uh, I heard Bill give that advice in two separate PDCs. So take that for what it is. Uh, if Bill Mollison says something works, I tend to believe it works because every single time I ever heard Bill tell a story or give a statistic or a fact. And I was like, bullshit. And I spent a lot of time researching it and finding out if it was true or not. It was always true. Right down to the tromb walls that compressed air and the books disappearing in the 1930s from the library. Once I I ran that down and that they used to make cars that ran on compressed air and that compressed air ran a lot of machinery and equipment in the, in the United States up until the 1930s. And then it all disappeared. And when that was true, I went fine. If he says something, unless it's really out there, anything, you know, bills passed away years ago, anything from the the Mullison archives. I just assume he's telling the truth because once you fact check somebody like, A hundred times unless you're just trying to like blind them in some way you kind of go okay this is a trustworthy source so that's another one all right now I had another question this person built a two-barrel now I don't remember if it was a t-lud or like a nested one in the other barrel system to make biochar they're really happy with it it works perfectly it does everything that they want They watched my episode, my big episode on biochar. The ones that's like a mini class for free. And they learned about wood vinegar. And they said, would I redesign and rebuild a biochar kiln for the wood vinegar? This is what I said. Probably not. And the reason is you use very small amounts of it. And it's very inexpensive. The best source I know of is the bamboo wood vinegar sold by Michael Whitman. At Blue Sky Biochar, and I think like a a quart bottle is like thirty five bucks or something, and you usually like eyedroppers full of it per application. And so I have no idea how long it's going to last, but I do know this: unlike a biological solution, it's not going to go bad. So I probably wouldn't redesign a kiln for only the purpose of capturing wood vinegar. That said, wood vinegar is also known as what, my friends and family out there in the audience? Liquid smoke. And it's actually not that hard to make. Basically, where your smoke comes off, you need some sort of a condenser. And basically, a long pipe is a condenser and it will liquefy. It will come up as a gas, liquefy and drop out as a liquid. I shouldn't say it won't liquefy. It'll gasify and then Uh, become a liquid and fall out at the end. It's it's very similar to the distillation of alcohol, but it's actually a lot easier. And what I told this person is, if you don't want to make like gallons and gallons of it, you just want to make some of it, and you smoke meat, you can make all you want. Why? Same reason that that crusty stuff ends up on the inside of your grill we talked about earlier. Lots of people make liquid smoke for culinary use. Food, for those that don't use big words. Um, and basically you just create a distillation column off of your smoker and you can make all the uh, liquid smoke you want. Quite a few people in the TSP community make liquid smoke. I have a couple bottles of it. I don't know. I think Brian from Tennessee made it. I'm not sure, but somebody made it from that whole Tennessee Nicole sauce crew and it's great liquid smoke. It's incredibly strong. Um, and so that would be dual purpose now there is a law about this in the United States for consumption. It has to be from a fruit bearing wood to make liquid smoke and sell it to human consumption. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. I, I got hickory or mesquite. Those bear fruit. They're perennials. They don't produce seed by themselves. They produce a fruit, right? A walnut is considered a fruit. It's also considered a nut. I know it's weird, but when, in the in the legislation, when it says fruit bearing, it means it must produce something that's generally considered edible. That's what it means. Don't worry about, like, oh, tomato's a fruit. It's not a vegetable. Let that go. What the law means is it has to be, you, know, you could do a traditional fruit. Applewood, you can make liquid smoke commercially and sell it from applewood. You could not make it from any tree that doesn't bear a nut that we would eat. So I've never seen oak, for instance. I think that would be a a legal test right there. I think they would say this is not grown generally for human consumption, that you were not able to do that, even though plenty of people smoke their food with with oak per se. To me, it would still be a fruit bearing under their definition wood, but it's up to you if you want to do it or not. If I was building a brand new kiln from scratch – and I was looking to do something commercial in the biochar world, knowing that every product that I produce is another income stream, I would probably focus on trying to do that. If I'm making it for backyard use, which I do all the time, I'm probably not worried about it. If I am a market gardener down, the amount I need is probably not worth the effort to capture unless I'm gonna create an income stream with it. That's my personal opinion. I would not fault you for doing otherwise. I will say this. Everything you take from a process reduces the efficiency of other parts of the process. When you cool something, you reduce temperature from what you're taking it from. And you also get almost no smoke when you make biochar properly. So I'm not sure how much liquid smoke you would derive from it without a really well-built uh, system, So it's up to you. All right. So now I'm going to answer some questions. I have three. If you have any questions and your name is not Jesse Ben Yoba or Jesse, two from the same Jesse, then I do not have your question. And if you are still here and you've asked a question, I would re-ask it with question in all caps. And after I answer these three, I'll come back and hit up last call and then we'll wrap up the show. Jesse says, is there a time limit for completion? and he is talking about the Home Food Systems courses. No, there is none, zero. You can take as long as you want to complete any course that you take. It is your course. You paid for it. You have lifetime access to the material. The videos, if you want to figure out how, you could end up stripping them and downloading and keep them. We didn't make it easy to do, but we didn't make it hard either. Uh, I won't say exactly what that means because if you haven't taken the course or at least signed up for the free one i don't want you trying to find a backdoor into all the material which won't be that useful with all without all the things that go with it but i'll just say no you can take as long as you want in completing any of the courses that you take there is no time limit all the exams are self-directed some of the courses that come in the future may have some things that need to be graded by myself or someone else but right now, all the questions are like true, false and multiple choice. And there's an answer key. We even give you the answer key now uh, with it. We figure if you want to cheat on your own course and cheat your own learning, go ahead. Go ahead. And what are you going to get out of it, especially the free course? Um, we decided to put the answer key where you could download it and check your own work. So when people got a wrong answer, they could find out why they were wrong. That, that's the approach we took there. You can also read if you fail. You can retake the courses until you pass. Uh, We're not trying to build an educational platform here to compete with universities who will claim that their students have earned their grades. And then you find out a PhD uh, who is running Harvard uh, is guilty of plagiarism. So if you want to cheat, you'll find a way to cheat. Okay. We want our courses that when you're done with it, you have the confidence to go out and do the thing that you paid to learn about. So we're not going to hide the truth from you and just say, well, you missed it. Figure it out. Right. Uh Ben Yoba says, Jack, the price of Bitcoin just shot up 5% to 54K today. It may reach a new all time high before the halving. It's very possible. Um We're what, 15 ish off from that at 54,000. I don't really care, though. <laughs> I know that people will find that hard to believe. When's the next all-time high? Don't care. I just care that I know it will happen. That's all I care about. Um, I saw somebody post something about Bitcoin today, and I really liked it. It said, real Bitcoiners, buy the all-time high and hold it until it becomes the new bottom. And that's my philosophy. I've, I would say that we've reached a point in the evolution of Bitcoin Where if you're regularly buying it or earning it, if you've been around for more than five-ish years, you should be where I am. Bitcoin went up today. Nice. It went down today. Don't care. Really went down today. Okay, I'm buying more. Just my thoughts. Moving on. uh, Also, Jesse says, what if it still bears a fruit's name? Weeping Cherry, Bradford, Pear, etc. I don't know because that's a legal thing. That is the FDA. Right. So it's not what the FDA is not saying is that if you were to use something other than that to make a wood vinegar, it would be toxic. What they're saying, it's not approved to sell for that purpose. And you can see, you know, I don't defend government letter organizations very often, but you can see where they might point that out. And what they're trying to say is you have to use a wood that comes from a source that is producing food, because if you can use any wood at all, wood prevents a company from getting a bunch of oak pallets, chopping them up and making wood vinegar that they sell for you to eat, and God knows what's on those pallets. So they're basically saying it has to be from a food-safe wood that's used for the purpose of producing food. And of all the dumb shit they do, I can probably give a pretty good pass on that one and understand it. I don't see any other questions, so I think I'm going to wrap up today. 229 Mix says doesn't matter what the price is. It matters what the price will be, Uh, Bitcoin. I agree with that. Um, Anyway, guys, I really appreciate you guys for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I hope that those of you, and there were some special kids, and I used discipline today, and I didn't let myself get sucked into it, explaining to me how I was a dummy, and how the CIA did it, or the driver did it, or whatever. No. The JFK thing, here's what I would say. If you have not watched that documentary, do not form an opinion based on what I told you today. Watch the documentary. If you form an opinion based on what I told you, I gave you 5% of what's in that documentary. You're making an opinion based on 5% of knowledge, including a positive one. I don't think that's a smart idea. If you're dismissing it cuz you know J Edgar Hoover did it or the mob did it or whatever, you know, thing has been floated a thousand different variations, you're making a decision without any information. But I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. If you watch the dude, the, the the ballistics expert put the holes in the skull, okay? Put the rod through the holes, put the skull in the position that the president's skull wasn't at the time of the third shot, it becomes apparent that whatever happened, the shot did come from behind, it didn't come from six stories up, and it came from the president's left and not the president's right. That becomes immediately apparent, and then there's only so many ways that that could have happened. There's only so many ways. And then when you think, this was always my problem, by the way, with the Zapruderville, We Like I said, in in my 11th grade history teacher, this was his thing, right? Again, he wrote his master's thesis on the assassination. He bought the rifle as part of the research. Like, this guy was, this was his thing. Vietnam vet lived through the whole thing. It was his thing. He played that film, and we all said, it really looks like it came from in front. Grassy knoll behind the picket fence, whatever. But then he would always say, "I know what you, I I know why you think that, and I know he, he was exactly this. I know something's wrong here. But if he's like, who in here hunts, you know, and me and about ten other guys by their hand, is does that spray? Does that make sense? That's an entry rule, and we all go no. But it doesn't make sense this way either. It makes sense this way. Take away the six point five Carcano and go down to a twenty two caliber high velocity round." like frangible projectile change the angle, watch the Supruder film and see if you don't at least say this. Well, that's possible because the only thing you need to believe to believe that's what happened is that the secret service would cover up their fuck up. When seven of the eight members that were there were drunk in a whorehouse till 5am, which no one contests by the way. And the sober guy is the one that accidentally fired the shot holding a rifle he should have never had in his hands. Think about it. Do you trust that cops that end up in a bad situation won't hide it? I don't. I don't at all. Anyway, tune in tomorrow. We'll be talking about a single thing. I don't know exactly what it'll be yet, but we're going to dig down into something tomorrow. Then Wednesday we have Andy McCann, who is now a member of the expert council. He will be on air with us. Uh, to talk about fitness and some other things. And then on Thursday, Expert Council Show. So we are just doing it all over again like always, regu- regularly scheduled programming. Thanks for tuning in today. Oh, wait a minute. I have a big-ass announcement. A big-ass announcement I almost screwed up and didn't make today. Some of you saw this on social media, I'm sure, already. I have signed a direct agreement with Vivor. Vivor are the people who make the meat slicer that I brought to you through uh, Amazon uh, last year. A lot of you guys have bought that meat slicer. Everybody seems to really love it. Well, they approached me about a direct relationship, and we went round and round, and I finally made it work out to where it makes sense. And I am going to begin listing products not only that are Amazon products, but direct to Vivor's site at the Survival Podcast. And my lead product, the one that I worked at a deal for you guys with, this, and this is the deal, this is a $130 product, and you get it for $99 plus 5% more off. Not MSB, everybody can get that deal. It is a four-foot by eight-foot galvanized raised bed. You may recognize that because I sold, like, hundreds of four-by-eight galvanized raised beds last year. But the ones I sold last year were oval on the end. These are square, which gives you more surface area they are painted and they look sharp they are super heavy duty two foot tall four by eight and they're actually something like 23.2 inches by like you know seven foot point nine five inches or basically it's four by eight and they're like 23.5 tall but basically four by eight by two foot deep hundred bucks shipped to your house i did the math it's right in the write-up if you want to read it at the survival podcast and, but here's the math. Um, of what, if you were going to build these, like we always do out of two by sixes, right? 16 two by six by eight pressure treated boards. My local lows. That's 120 bucks. A box of good stainless or deck screws. That's going to be about $12 and likely some corner reinforcing lumber. Cause you don't want to just screw in the end grain with your box. So like some pieces of four by four or two by or something like that in the corners. Call it 10 bucks. It's $140 a piece. You get these for a hundred shipped to your house, and you don't have to go to box store hell. And, again, read the write-up. I'll be bringing you more products directly from Vivore. Uh, I finally got that, again, worked out with them, and I'll be expanding t now to have products both from Vivore and on Amazon. By the way, this product, if you just like Amazon, down in the – uh below the PS's you'll see note this item is available on Amazon but you'll pay about $20 more for it if you order it there I wanted you to know about it in case you prefer to buy through that distribution channel so if you just want to buy this product through Amazon you want to pay 20 more dollars then you can do that what I'll tell you is I ordered mine I think Tuesday or when I ordered it Wednesday and it showed up Saturday morning so it doesn't take like you're not going to get 40 hours uh, shipping like you do for Amazon or next day shipping like you might from Amazon, but it's quick shipping, great company, great products, huge, huge, um, variety of product. And I'll be slowly picking. I'm going to hand curate this stuff. I'm only going to recommend things that I either buy or would buy. I will tell you, they gave me one of these beds and I bought one cause they wouldn't give me two and I wanted two. So I was given one. I will always disclose that. Angie says, the reason I haven't purchased metal raised beds yet is because they get too hot to the touch. They may get pretty hot to the touch. They're not going to heat up your soil, though. I I really wouldn't worry about that. So if you're worried about, like, touching them, I guess that could be an issue. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, they're used everywhere. They're incredibly popular in Australia. It's like the number one material for making raised beds in Australia where it gets kind of hot galvanized metal beds. Uh, you could always do something to facade them in if you're worried about that, but I've grown a ton of stuff in like galvanized stock tanks and stuff like that. It's never been a problem for me, but that's, that's a personal choice. And I can see somebody saying that anyway, guys, appreciate you being with me today. Take care. I'll catch you tomorrow with another episode. It's been Jack Spearco with another episode of the survival podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life and times you tough reading Are to bail you out just